and welcome to Power Reflections, a proud member of the Doof Network where we reflect on Wildbo's most unprincipled and homegrown work as it releases. I'm Ruben Morehouse. And I'm Elliot Diebold. And we are back to finish, finish off Arc 8 Vanishing Points with 8.8 All, which features all of the Kenneteers, all four of them giving a perspective, <laughs> uh, before we move into Shaking Hands 9.1 from Lucy's perspective. Um, but let's wrap up Vanishing Points first, shall we? Uh, we are going to get everyone's perspective eventually, but we'll start with Lucy, who is dropped off by Zed and met at the door by her family, Jazz Booker, and the new member of the family. What's her name? <laughs> I love that moment where uh, Lucy's like, she calls her what's her name, and then in the very next sentence, she uses the word Alyssa, like the name Alyssa, and it's just like, okay, so you you knew what you were doing. Mm. Um. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, it's it's pretty obvious. She knows her name. She obviously does. It's just a running <laughs> beat of her not being, I guess, willing to accept that this person's going to be a part of her life. Yeah, pretty much. Um, should we talk first, though, about the fact that this is 8.8 and not, like, an interlude or whatever? I mean, obviously, it's not an interlude because it's from the perspective of our four Kenneteers, but... And and also, it's obviously kind of a bit of a trap to worry about Wild Boy naming conventions for his for his chapters. But I'm trying to like <laughs> figure out the logic behind it, you know? Yeah, I mean, if you're going to stress about this, like four dot X was a snowdrop interlude. So, like, I think I, I I feel like if you think about what an interlude is, this isn't that. It's just a very differently structured chapter. So I kind of get why it's eight point eight and not eight dot all or 8.z or whatever mm. um i mean i really liked it because it caught me completely off guard i was like reading the lucy part and i was like this is moving very quickly i have no idea where this chapter's going and then it just ended and we went on to the snowdrop part and i was like oh okay that's allowed mm. I, I didn't know that was in the rules yeah yeah it's weird isn't it um <laughs> but it's it's a great way to kind of get back into the flow of things in Kenneth, make sure we're kind of picking up all these dangling threads that we had. Oh, yeah. It's it's great for... Like, I've seen people making lists of all the stuff we have to address when we get back to Kenneth, and this chapter resolves slash kickstarts, like, over half of them. Like, Verona and Adapt, Verona and Jeremy, Lucy meeting Booker, uh, Avery having Melissa, a conversation with her parents. I was surprised Melissa showed up. I was like, oh, yeah, that's yep. a thread we've got to worry about. Exactly. Like it, it's it's most of the list is just every, basically everything that doesn't have to do with the others and the main mystery. This chapter is kind of like, hey, friendly reminder, this shit's going on. Yeah, just kind of just kind of doing a quick loop over the whole deal, mm, which is a really cool thing to do as we sort of have this homecoming and move back into this side of the story. Mm, yeah. Um. Yeah. Uh. So. Yeah. Just. Great, great style, I guess, for for the for the end of this arc. Yeah, um, but yeah. So, I, so I, I, to get back to Lucy um, and, and what she has here, um, I, I like how almost the first thing that happens in in this is as she's getting out of the car, like Verona, kind of does a little prank and pushes her or something, and for a second Lucy doesn't know what's up, and it's sort of like it, it got my like you know guards raised. I was like, oh mm. shit, what's happening? Um, and then it just turns out to be like a dumb prank, but. I thought this was like a really cool little writing way of just nudging me in a bit of that like Lucy headspace of like always having to be on guard. Mm. Yeah. 
Yeah, you're right. It, it, every Lucy chapter has to start with us putting the guard up a bit so we can get back into her, her, her mindset. Um, mm. I also love this little moment of Lucy thanking Zed. Zed's just proven to be yeah. a real champ over the course <laughs> of this story. Um, when you know it's true, because Lucy said it as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, actually, the other thing Lucy and Zed talk about briefly uh, that I thought we should bring up is, uh, so Nicolette has sort of been brought under uh, Ray's wing. Um, he's going to kind of be her supervisor? Mm. I, I don't know. Like, the word master felt correct for Alexander and Bristow, but I don't get that <laughs> vibe with Ray. Um, no. Mentor, maybe? Yeah, yeah, mentor. Mentor's good. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, a guardian, almost, because mm. fuck knows her family's not going to do it. Yes. Um, yeah, I don't know. I was kind of like, I heard this, and I was like, that sounds like a good fit to me. I, I I don't know, maybe it's just because the bar is so shockingly low for her previous uh, mentors. But, I, yeah, I was like, I could see Ray and Nicolette helping each other in a good way. To me, it's the same thought I have any time anything with Ray comes up, which is like, yeah, this was okay. Could be better, but it also could be worse. <laughs> which is pretty much the theme of Ray as a character in this story. <laughs> um, Yeah, I, I don't know. See, because, like... At first I thought, oh, do I just think this is a good fit because there's no one in Nicolette's life who's better? And that mm. is true. Um, <laughs> you know, like, like the closest other thing I could think of is trying to get with that auger coven who were going to work with Bristow, but they were going to work with Bristow. So, yeah, um, obviously they can't flawed. Be all that. Yeah. Um, but I actually, yeah, I don't know. I was just thinking about it and I was like, this actually just feels like a good fit. I think Nicolette will bring a bit more of a human perspective to Ray. And uh, oh, like Ray can actually sort of take care of Nicolette while giving her a bit of space because that's I feel like what she probably needs. I don't know. Yeah, maybe I we'll find out. Yeah, um, yeah, we'll see. I guess we'll see when slash if they come back into this story again. Um, so yeah, we see Booker uh, in the flesh finally. Um, <laughs> it's good to see him. It, it's. Obviously, it's good to see him because we're in Lucy's mind and she's kind of very, very excited <laughs> by the fact that he's here. Booker has been so built up in Lucy's mind that I, I, I kind of can't help but worry that either he's going to be a letdown somehow, he's going to let her down, or, you know, there'll be tension from him being in danger or something. Like, he can't be built up so much and just be positive in this story. There has to be some... <laughs> Knowing while Bo, there has to be some <laughs> perversion of all that goodwill that Lucy has built up. No, or is that is that the twist? He'll just be fine. I don't know. I mean, obviously we'll get into this a bit <laughs> next chapter. Um, yeah, it's looking no, I, like yeah. it's going to be that he's going to be in danger kind of thing. Yeah, because I mean, so far he's sort of living up to all the very high expectations I had for him. Yes, he's a great older like, brother. Like, in fact, this whole introduction, like Luce sort of reunites with their family and it's like you know booker is just he's amazing he's like it's the little details like he compliments her earring which you're just like okay like many points for that um and then like her mom like jazz has this great moment where she's like a single guy drove you three home but she actually listens to lucy when lucy's like it, it it's fine <laughs> like, it's, yeah. it's fine um you know even Alyssa gets uh fine greeting like it's just, yeah it, i was really glad we opened with this one because i was instantly like oh this is going to be the nicest homecoming and i'm glad we're starting here 
Yeah, yeah, it's it's good to have some positive stuff to remind us that it's not all terrible shit back in Kennet, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, to, to jump back on what you said before, um, like with, with Booker failing, I could see... I, I, I'm thinking back to, like, the, the original time, I think it was, like, in Arc 2, where he started giving Lucy that advice about, like, going to parties and stuff, mm. and uh, there was that big essay on the subreddit, I think it was by, like, Tanky Forecast, but I'm not sure, uh, on, like, the historical uh, yes. like a- activist named Booker, and then um, W.E.B. Du Bois. Um, du Bois, I think, is probably how it's pronounced, but... No, we went. We, no, we went through this last time. Did we have this, this exact time. conversation? <laughs> and I was right because his name is used as a rhyme in a Crazy Ex-Girlfriend song. So that's how I know what song. Uh, the sex toys one. It, it was. It's actually removed. It's. It's. It's like a. You, you can like see the cast recording of it, but it got cut from the show. Right. Do boys sex toys? Is that what you're yeah. telling me? Yeah. Okay. I get yeah. you. Um. Anyway. <laughs> um. Yeah, so like I don't know, you, but like with that, with that sort of history lesson we got back then in my mind, you could see Booker and Lucy coming up against each other about like how much to push back on things. Um, uh, but it, I mean, the start of Arc Nine mm. seems to imply that your your other idea that he'll just be in danger uh, seems more likely at this stage. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it definitely does, doesn't it? Is it weird to say I hope it's just that he ends up in mortal danger, like you know? Um, I don't want. The, I don't yeah, want them to fight. Yeah, pretty weird. <laughs> I don't, but I don't want them to fight. It's so much. It's so much simpler if he's just, you know, kidnapped and and you know maybe tortured a bit or something. I don't know. Hmm. 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 We'll see. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I guess that isn't the worst option, is it? Which is horrible to say. <laughs> um, Welcome to the other verse. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, yes, uh, inside Lucy grills Booker a bit about Alyssa before the two lovebirds head out to meet friends. So Lucy catches up with her mum over some reheated dinner. Yeah, and, and yeah, like again, Lucy and Booker, they take a moment to check in on each other, like on a sort of personal level before. I feel like Lucy just launches into full-on, like, interrogation mode. Um, like, I, I just, this whole vibe... Lucy gives off in both these chapters of just like low key not trusting Alyssa is just very funny to me. Um, like mm. even Jazz comes up and she's like, Oh, I really like her. Yeah, everyone can clearly kind of tell that Lucy <laughs> is uncomfortable with Alyssa. And I mean, it's I, I, like unfounded, right? Or not unfounded, but uncharitable at the very least. Um, Alyssa seems fine, good, even. Yeah. Some would say. Well, yeah, I mean, but it, again, it's that thing. Uh, she needs to win points with Lucy before Lucy will trust her, especially with someone like Booker. Yeah. Whereas, like, it, like you know, I, I feel like Booker and probably Jazz are a bit more in that headspace of, in this context, willing to give her the benefit of the doubt until she does something wrong. Um, it's it's just so funny to me because I feel like traditionally it's like you know if if you're a if, if you're a girlfriend you're trying to win over the mum more than anyone. Uh, and we get here, and, and Jazz is already like, "Oh yeah, she's great." And it's like, "Okay, no, no, Lucy's the yeah, one that you Lucy's need to win the over." The real decision maker in this household. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it is nice to see Lucy sliding back into this family dynamic that is obviously both so comfortable and comforting to her, um, even with mm-hmm. Alyssa around. But having said that, we we do get reminders that 
like the practitioner stuff is obviously a big wedge that is dividing Lucy and her mother. Like tangibly, Lucy has to turn down what is clearly would be a comforting night of like support from her mother here because of the practitioner stuff. She just can't take mm. that that outrage. Yeah, exactly. And that is sort of a uniquely Lucy side to all this because mm. Avery has other problems and she doesn't really communicate that deeply with her family anyway. And well, I mean, Verona. Um, mm. Yeah, so Verona doesn't. <laughs> Verona's doesn't relationship with her, <laughs> with her dad is, with both her parents actually, is, is probably not salvageable yeah. in the time remaining for this story. <laughs> um, yeah, so, like, yeah, because I, like, I mean, obviously the whole, like, secret identity, secret magic thing is something that, like, a lot of stories in, in this sort of genre have dealt with. Um, so I'm interested to see, yeah, where it might go with Lucy's because we definitely hit that beat here, like you said. Mm. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Lucy has uh, this food and is kind of settling back into her life in Kennet before looking out over the town and seeing this state of decay that is falling over it. Yeah, I mean, after such a heartwarming segment, this is a really deliciously ominous way to end it like as we head into the rest of the chapter everything's been so nice and it's just like as we leave you know we have to be reminded that this town is very unstable and lucy is going to make that her responsibility Mm. yeah um she's uh she's the sheriff and she's back in town to take care of business Um. Yeah, so uh, uh, Lucy's having such a weird time dealing with Alyssa, right? Um, I think I, I want to th- think about whether it's like if it's just her being so defensive of Booker or if there's like a wider point about Lucy's uh, reluctance to, to for things to change in any way. I don't know. I mean, obviously, like change in general in her life has, has been pretty negative most of the time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, again, I, I also just think she thinks so highly of Booker. Like, as we talked about, the you know, the expectations were so high for us going into this. Um, and I think it's just natural. If you think Booker is, like, the bee's knees in the same way Lucy does, having this other, like, girl in his life who's not only, like, important to him, so you're, like, worried for him, but also is taking away time that she should be spending with Booker, mm. I think it's just... I, I think it's just that sort of natural reaction like that i don't know i'm talking very hypothetically at least in my family it's usually like 10 minutes after meeting one of my sisters or or when people have met my exes it's been like what are you doing with this d-bold like you could do better we have a very different response it's much more like what sheridan would give (laughs) um yeah so so i very much i very much speaking hypothetically when i talk about what it would be like to have a protective sibling yeah no i also don't uh th- that's not the relationship i have with my sisters <laughs> um <laughs> it's uh yeah much more australian i guess is how i would describe <laughs> it <laughs> um but yeah uh, yeah i don't know i i the question i'm weighing up in my head is is there enough time in this story for all of these beats to to really land like it doesn't feel like there's even enough time for us to really get to the juicy meat of this Alyssa stuff. And maybe it is Wild Bo just setting up threads that he might pick up and he might not. But I, it, I kind of feel like, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. Will we get some uh, some big Alyssa payoff? Maybe we will. Yeah, I mean, the thing about 
uh, Wobbo stories as well, so they can get pretty dense in the amount of moments they're covering uh, when the climax, yes. like when the climax is sort of happening. Like it's not we. I, I think the way character moments get weaved into big action set pieces is such an advantage, oh, such a strength of Wobbo's writing. But you know, mm. as the Carmine shit is going down, Booker and Alyssa might get roped in, and it might come in in that regard. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Uh, we'll touch on when we get to Avery's segment. Uh, there's something in there that I think is just a, a brilliant example of how dense Wabo can pack these themes while still making them all feel very, very justified and, and narratively rewarding. Um, we'll get mm. to that in a moment, because next we're jumping into the perspective of our favourite Kennetia, Snowdrop, who is uh, regaling the goblins with stories of her exploits. <laughs> A scene that's made even more delightful by Cherry's meltdown at um, <laughs> Snowdrop's delivery. Yes. Like, she still just doesn't get it. <laughs> How does she still not get it? Like, I know I know the book has spent, like, this entire story has been a recurring thing. It's like, oh, Cherry is so stupid. But so mm. she, she's literally hung out with Snowdrop for weeks. Yep. How does she think she's so stupid? How does she still not get it? Yeah, no. I mean, she never will, and that's the brilliant thing about Cherry. The moment that Cherry gets the joke, something wrong is going to (laughs) happen. It's a great example of show don't tell, really, because the book kept telling us Cherry is stupid. But it really took until this moment for me to realise, oh, Cherry's really fucking stupid. (laughs) Ay, ay, ay. Yeah. Um, It's good stuff. Um, but yeah, obviously Snowdrop being included in this chapter means that she is obviously officially a Kenneteer. There is no denying. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I mean, obviously Snowdrop is the fourth Kenneteer. Uh, this, this just makes it canon. Um, I also, like, I feel like a big thing in this chapter, and it's something we've been talking about all arc really is like growth and how you choose the parts of yourself that you want to grow uh, mm. as you're growing um and wait you know I, I feel like snowdrops pov is important for a chapter talking about that because she, well she grow like she grows quicker like that's just you know she, she's she's aged like two human years or something since we met her mm. um but she's also like yeah you know she was just sort of avery plus some stuff like or Avery plus Opossum plus some stuff, and now she's grown and she's she's her own person now. Um, so of course we sort of have to explore her for a bit. Mm. Yeah, um, yeah. She really has padded out and has fleshed out. I mean, I guess we'll get into this as we see what happens next because she heads to Louise's house, Louise Buyer, and bumps into Melissa, who is clearly not doing well. Oh man, Melissa. Um yeah it's rough yeah i mean yeah again this is one of those loose threads where it was like oh yeah right and and i mean you know do do you need any more symbolism for melissa is self-destructive right now then she's at louise's house she started smoking apparently like i think that's new Mm. um yes it is yeah just i mean she used to be sort of miss healthy sports outreach person and now we're seeing her like sitting alone, smoking <sighs> at the house of the only other person who's possibly as self-destructive in town. Mm. Um, so it's just, <laughs> just in case you had any hope for Melissa, this chapter's kind of like, no, 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 she's she's in a bad spot. And remember, this was all prompted by Nicolette. Nicolette explicitly mm. made this happen. <laughs> well, uh. Ruben, 
not to be a Nicolette apologist, but as Nicolette loves to remind us whenever this comes up, technically it was maybe going to happen a little bit anyway. Sure. <laughs> sure. And you can't know. The other thing is, uh, according to Nicolette, Melissa is basically wallowing in, in it rather than <laughs> taking any active steps to get out of it, which is, uh, yeah. again, feels a bit victim blamey, but all right, oh, Nicolette. All I did was push her down, and now you want me to help her up? What are you? Yeah. <laughs> I held my hand out. She just has to reach up and take it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> she just has to pull herself up by her bootstraps. Exactly right. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, like the smoking is new, right? Um, and presumably, like implied, she's picked it up from Louise, right? And Louise, we met in the very first, uh, very, very first chapter in the prologue of this story. And it was kind of clear that while Louise was uh, maybe a good person, she she had struggled a lot under the weight of the stuff in her life. And that just seems like it's saying to us, this is what Melissa is going to turn into. Oh, yeah. Oh, I mean, and that was that was the whole fucking speech in Arc 5 is, um, was it Guillaume? Who was it? You know, but we got Charles, Louise, and, oh, no, no it was Clem, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, but was Louise, no, it was like, maybe it was just Charles and Melissa, but it was sort of like, you know, this is the whole thing. It's like, yeah, you don't want to go down this slope. And Clem was like, oh, okay. And Melissa was just like, hmm, interesting. There's interesting. more. There's, there's more. There's, I can go lower? Interesting. <laughs> quick, quick, let me grab my shovel. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, obviously, she gets brought up next chapter. So it feels like probably in the first half of yeah. Arc 9, we're going it's gonna to be go the with... dealing with Melissa part yeah, of the arc. I can't yeah. wait. Um, Snowdrop t- responds very well to this, which was what I kind of wanted to jump back on. It's clear that Snowdrop is actually becoming more active in the sense of like being a Kenneteer, you know, helping her out, mm. helping out around Kennet, uh, because she takes note of this. She's she's pretty good about like getting into Melissa's good books, learning what she needs to learn, and then promising to report it all back to Avery. <laughs> I mean, what like a, a big moment for me was I think more than anywhere else we've seen before, Snowdrop really uses her lying cleverly like she tactically mm. answers melissa's questions in in such a way to like lead melissa in the wrong direction like there's a great bit where um melissa is like oh is louise your mom and snowdrop can't think of an answer so she just stares at her until she says aunt and then snowdrop can say no which you know comes out as yes um mm-hmm. and that's like actually believable so it's it's yeah like i guess speaking of growth like snowdrop has really sort of grown into uh you know this way that she talks and she's actually like turned it into a tool now yeah that's really cool yeah definitely she's she's taking it and you know learning to use it in a useful way which is great yeah because i I forgot to bring it up in the lucy segment but like like something i wanted to sort of track as we're going through the chapter is i i feel like this chapter specifically has a, a number of moments that echo the the like the start of arc four which is when they kind of left town like i think we're, we're sort of showing how much these four have grown in their time away and part of the way we're doing this is i think a lot of scenes here mirror some of the scenes from around the time of the of the party um that happened and uh like you know this one with snowdrop is yeah like as you said snowdrop's actually out helping um and using the this ability she has in a cool mm. yeah yeah Go Snowdrop. Um, so, next up, Verona, who starts off her segment, How Else, by talking to her dad. 
the very first line, I was just like, oh, fuck. Like, yeah. This Set the is. stage for Verona chapter. Here we go. We mentioned a Lucy chapter has to start with her guard being a bit up. A Verona chapter has to start with us hating her dad, or it's not canon. I, I mean, to be fair, it's been a while since he's been, like, an active thing. Yeah. I kind of forgot how bad he was. Um, <sighs> yeah. It's been nice to kind of be away from it and just have it as, like, a background thing that is causing Verona anxiety rather than this. Yeah. Um... It's the worst. I mean, like, yeah, the, the start of this the, of this sentence brings us exactly how in, into the mindset of Verona. Like, it brings her back down to the glum reality of her life because her dad is basically saying, uh, he the words he says are, I need you help out around the house more. But what it actually means is, welcome back to Kennet. It's going to get worse, <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> that's the theme of this chapter. Welcome back to Kennet. Some things are good, but a lot of things are shit and it's getting worse. So, good luck. Oh uh, yeah, I mean, like, what's funny is because we know he's injured, and Verona starts this like on the phone. Mm. There was actually like about four or five paragraphs where I just thought he was upstairs in bed and couldn't come down to see her. I was just talking to her in the house, and it's obviously not that. But I was like, God, that shows how fucking rock bottom my expectations are. That I was just immediately willing to buy. He couldn't even come down to see her, mm. um, despite being able to like go out to dinner. Uh, with Jazz and, and Co. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the other the other sort of really big thing is like, like, this is all established, like what she's talking about with her dad as this opens is what food she can reheat and basically how shit the options are. And because like that was a whole thing for Verona the whole time at the Blue Heron Institute is she was like, the food's oh, this so is delicious. good food. Yeah. How am I going to go back to what I used to eat? And <laughs> that like that whole thing got a bit muddled towards the end because it turns out the brownie food wasn't all that. Um, mm. But obviously, like, yeah, I really like that. That's sort of been a through line of her time at the Blue Heron Institute was, oh, mm. no, like, you know, how am I going to go back to eating this shitty food? And the second she gets back, it's like, well, here's two shitty options you're not going to like for food. Yep. Right back into it. Uh, yeah. This is like um, the exact opposite tone to Lucy's. <laughs> Yeah, exactly right. Um, so then we get, there's a beat where Verona's dad tells her that he loves her and she thinks, love you too, she thought. She wasn't brave enough to put it to actual spoken word. And uh, yeah, again, this is powerful. I mean, this feels like it's a, mm. an extension of the the moment when uh, Verona told her mother that she loved her and then wasn't sure if it was true or not, right? Um yeah, and I so, think like later, later in the night, she thought she might have gainsaid herself by saying that. Yes, and that's obviously what she is afraid of when she's thinking that she's not brave enough to put it to words. Um, it feels like this is something that we're going to see a third beat of, either a reconciliation and her saying it tangibly and believing it, or the the more likely option, which is complete disconnection and her not even thinking it the next time, right? Um so look out for that. Look out for Verona, one of Verona's parents, probably her dad, telling her telling her that they love her, and then Verona's just not responding, not even thinking it. <laughs> yeah, because like, I mean that's really the thing with all this is like, can you imagine that we ever get to a place where Verona can say she loves her dad without feeling like she's lying or giving power to him like i think the the power dynamic between her and her dad is something we sort of explore in her snippet here and, and that yeah. was like the vibe i get here she doesn't want to say she loves him because that she sees that as like giving up power i i think almost to some degree mm. um 
which you know obviously that's a super healthy way to think about these things um mm-hmm. you know yeah like is there a way is there a way she could get there with anyone especially her dad is sort of my question at this point yeah uh, i don't know i don't know i don't think so again not in the amount of time that that it feels like we have left in this story mm. yeah yeah um so yeah verona gets out of the house to get some air and bumps into a ghost and then Jeremy. <laughs> um, I, I love it how she... Because so, she, she barely goes into the house. She basically gets in there, drops her bags, and then has this moment of, like, I feel like an intruder. It's all, like, dark and stale. And she's totally disconnected from it as a space. And obviously, because it's like... Her, her house has always been like that. Like, I don't think that's actually new. Uh, mm-hmm. like, that, was, that was Avery's read on it in, like, Arc 2. It, it's sort of like, you know, if you go away on a holiday or something for like two weeks and then you come back to your house and it feels a bit weird when you first get there. Like it feels different. Mm. She's getting that, but to this way bigger degree because it wasn't ever really a home for her. It was the place she well, it was a prison really. Um, yeah. As she sort of comes back to it after having actually kind of found a bit of a home at the Blue Heron Institute. And yeah, she just like yeah, she so she sort of comes in here, and I was just like, oh, it's like really powerful that she sort of finally sees this place for what it is because now she's had somewhere that she liked to be, mm. and in classic Verona fashion, she doesn't quite process this. She just panics and and leaves. Um, yeah, it's an interesting point though. She she now has a more tangible alternative for what her life could be like, uh, and it, yeah. it is empowering to her, right? Yeah, and, and like um. Like she was the one in the Blue Heron Institute who laid out their room, and she's the one who's first in line to get a domain in town. Like I think, mm. Ver- like something we sort of hit in this, at least the second half of this story, is like that Verona is somebody who wants a space to be herself and to have that. And now that she's had that, she's come back to this home and realized it's not that, and that causes her to like freak out and leave. And oh, like I love how much she's lying to herself as she sort of leaves. Like she she comes out and she's like, oh, we said. We wouldn't go and seek out the others until we all saw them tomorrow. So I'm just going to walk around town, and if any others show up, well, oh no, like, not my, it's not disingenuous. my fault. <laughs> yeah, it's disingenuous. But she's, she's doing that bit from The Simpsons, where it's like, I'm going to walk with my arms spinning like this, and if you walk yeah. into them, it's your own fault. <sighs> yep, and it works. She finds this weirdo ghost that she quickly <laughs> deals with. Yeah, um, yeah. More importantly, Jeremy. Yeah, I mean, yeah, uh, our soon-to-be fifth Kenneteer, who is great, great chemistry with Verona, so, you know, let's make it canon. I mean, calling him the fifth Kenneteer is total liberty erasure. I won't stand for it. Mm. Um, also, Liz, there are so many Kenneteers now. I want everyone to be a Kenneteer. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I mean, it would solve some of the problems that the Kenneteers are having, right? Access to... To power, that obviously it comes with its own set of problems, but you know, <laughs> we got so many goblins in town. Bring just bring Liberty in, make her the fifth Kennedy. <laughs> she deserves it. Um, so yeah, Verona takes uh, Jeremy to her serial killer bedroom, which is a pretty fun moment. She hides <laughs> all of the magical stuff, but she doesn't think to hide the jars of hair, which implies that Verona's radar for what weird shit should I hide before bringing a cute boy to my room is just really off, yeah, which. I mean, of course it is. It's Verona. Um, yeah. Has it ever I, I mean, been on? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so I get the impression that she very much enjoyed this moment. 
because he's like, is that hair? And she's like, oh yeah, it's, it's sorted though. And he's like, what? She's like, that one's cat and that one's opossum. And he's like, opossum? And she just like, she just gets to steamroll past it. Like, I, I get the impression she was having yeah. a lot of fun with it. Yeah, the closest she gets to an explanation is he asks, do you make your own paintbrushes? And she said, oh, I tried that and doesn't elaborate. <laughs> <laughs> so, which is clearly to us a no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it, it lets Jeremy file this away as not the weirdest fucking shit ever. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, you're right though. I think like just how whack this room is sort of really sets the tone for Jeremy has no idea what he's gotten into here. Um, and he's, he's about to find out, but, um, this is sort of just the opening salvo of, uh, weirdness for him. Yeah. Um, (laughs) he is immediately out of his depth, but he puts up a good fight, Jeremy. Good on him. Um, yeah, Verna kind of keeps making things a bit more and more intimate until things reach their inevitable conclusion for these two. Yep. Everyone saw this coming except for Verona, I think. Um, I mean, yeah, this whole segment where, like, yeah, it's sort of, it's just equal parts, like, lovely and cringy. Like, it's exactly that sort of adorably dorky, awkward stuff that happens when teenagers are, like, trying to get close like this. Um, yeah, it's... Yeah, you're right. It it's definitely got its moments of cringiness, definitely. Um, <laughs> but but on the flip side, Verona is uh, opening up to Jeremy about things that she seemingly hasn't even told Lucy about, or at least we haven't seen her say these things, or, or things as vulnerable as this with Lucy, who is obviously her closest friend, right? So clearly, this is working for her to, you know get a bit of uh, connection, a bit of human connection that isn't related to the practice. Yeah, yeah, I really like that framing. This is, even though Jeremy has been labelled as someone who could fall in quite easily, like, he's not in in the practice. And, I mean, yeah, you're right. This is stuff, like, so she, she goes on all this stuff about, like, how some of her coping mechanisms for when her parents were getting divorced and it was, like, the roughest time. And it's like, she mm-hmm. doesn't, yeah, she doesn't talk about that stuff just... She doesn't even usually let herself think that much about no, this stuff. No, she doesn't. Um, so, like, yeah, you're right. It's a real testament to just how, like, the good vibes Jeremy gives off uh, for, for Verona here, that she's able to so kind of, on, of her own accord, start talking about this stuff. Yeah, um, which is great. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I don't want to, we don't have that much to talk about in the next part. Let's not. I think we agreed with Wabo that it's just nice to to let them have their moment. I think it was a, a Lemony Snicket book where I first saw this technique used of the author almost explicitly saying, and I think in the Lemony Snicket book the author did explicitly say, you yeah. know, we all know what's going to happen next. Let them have their privacy and we can come back to them after this scene is completed, which is what <laughs> Wabo pulls here. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I, I do want to touch on, like, there's the sort of first moment where things start to get a bit emotional and so verona just kind of is like what do you think about boobs um, <laughs> yeah great and, brilliant because there's this whole like she she almost has to mask any emotional moments they have through this layer of a physical connection to sell it to herself is kind of the vibe i get like mm. there's this moment where like she gets jeremy to rate boobs on a scale out of 10 and then he's like uh, then he calls her like a 10 out of 10 and she sort of internally freaks out a bit, and that's when she starts bringing up like underwear and stuff. Like, 
yeah, like, you know, it's just, I, I, I love this for sort of, this is the way, this is the only way Verona can let herself have this stuff, is she has to kind of, I think, cover it in a layer of physicality uh, to convince herself that that's what's happening. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> what a and, weird... Um, yeah, sorry. sorry. No, please. Well, I was just going to say, because I, I, I did notice after I wrote this that you had something on it later in the notes, but um, I mean, I'm obviously very curious to see where this relationship slash totally not a relationship uh goes because verona does sort of say this is where i'm at Mm. and like yeah i I mean again much better than she does at the party like this is the part for me that echoes back to the the party in her final scenes in arc four before they left is she she doesn't explain this as well here she's able to sort of sit jeremy down and be like look this is where i'm at i'm like sort of functionally aromantic not the words she uses but sort of what she says and the next chapter, she's like, yep, we've established boundaries. We're on the same page. Everything's good. Is that the impression you got? <laughs> I mean, no, it's not. Response? It's clearly not, <laughs> right? Like, I mean, you describing it as an adult made it so much more explicit than <laughs> Verona's half a sentence where she says, I'm not really, like, into the idea of a boyfriend, which is as explicit as she gets about establishing boundaries. And then Jeremy's just like, Oh, hmm. Okay, wait. I'm I'm trying to figure out what that means. And then Verona's response to that is basically, "So, what do you think of boobs?" And so, yeah. like, <laughs> obviously, they're not on the same page. It, it's impossible for Jeremy to be on that page I, because it, Verona's jumping around in, insanely. Like, I think, I think he does sort of get it, but it's like, well, I don't know. I think there is sort of one moment where he's like, "Oh, okay, that's what you meant before." Like, I didn't quite yes. understand it. But there's, like, such a difference between him understanding it and him being able, like, he basically says, like, he's in love with her or, you know, he really, really likes her. Yes, he, could, he says she's a 10 out of 10, yeah. uh, implying I, I, I really like it. Yeah. And so, like, the idea that then Verona can just sort of be like, hey, look, let's do something, but, like, it's not boyfriend-girlfriend, it's just, you know, friends with benefits, basically. Um, it, it, Jeremy, like, it's like because she said that, that's just what Jeremy's going to be able to do now. Like, even if he does know that's what she wants, it's like, that's not the page he's on in his head. Like, I just don't see how he can, like, you know, like, there's, like, as she's brushing her teeth, like, he kisses her on the way out, which is like, that's boyfriend girlfriend shit. Like, I'm, yes. I'm sorry, Verona, but like, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I, yeah, I don't see a way that this doesn't end in. Like a broken, well, at least one broken heart. Uh, it's going to take at least one or if not more of these exact same types of conversations before I feel like we'll actually have boundaries being established. I, I've pulled out the quote from later and we can just talk about it now because why not? The quote is, he's okay. No heart's broken. Okay. True so far. Boundaries were laid out on both sides. Verena, we did not see boundaries laid out on both <laughs> sides. We saw some of your boundaries and we didn't really get any of his boundaries. So. I mean, like, I think we could call Verona Forsworn here. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, at least Gain said. Um, yeah. Although I don't want to do that. I, I saw what happened to the last guy. Um, <laughs> y- yeah, I don't know. I just, even if, like, I, I, I got the impression Jeremy did kind of get it, uh, get what she's saying. I just, I don't believe that that means he's going to be able to switch off his emotions and do it on those terms. Like, she sort of established the terms, but it's yeah. like, that doesn't mean jeremy can work with them um mm. maybe he'll try i mean it would it would be kind of delish, deliciously ironic if uh he did kind of just 
practice with her and then fall for someone else and then she realizes how she feels um you know i just think that would be funny uh you know not good way but a funny one um anyway yeah we'll, we'll see where this goes this is gonna be a fun <laughs> fun mess of a relationship yes indeed um jeremy heads home bumping into vd on the way out and the peaceful oasis of human connection is quickly shattered <laughs> when her dad first showed up i was like oh boy there goes the nice moment but actually yep it, i was wrong i think it gets even better yeah it's interesting isn't it um it's i mean okay here's the quote the way her dad held himself and looked at her and the way she could face him down it felt like the paradigm had changed mm-hmm. that's such a key quote to me like verona yeah feels confident and capable of like defining their dynamic more explicitly and 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 not rebelling, but just like existing. Oh yeah, I found that very interesting. Yeah, yeah well, exactly. Like this is. I'm just going to keep coming back to this idea because I feel like it's what the chapter's doing. This is how she's grown up in the time away. Is not only did she sort of have this better communication and and, and boundary stuff with Jeremy, but I like the dynamic with her dad. She's come back and she's just got more power in it now, and she's realizing that. Like she, yeah. Not that she was like this ideal submissive daughter or whatever the fuck before. Mm. But now she's kind of actively rejecting the idea of letting him control the space in that way. Is, yes. is kind of the vibe I get. Like she, she's found that ability to stand her ground a little bit more. And uh, I, this is going to be very fun. Yeah, for sure, it's great. Um, big ups to Verona for it because it is <laughs> brilliant. Um, so next we jump to Avery. Uh, who's escorted by a, a small coterie of goblins? Or I wrote that, and then you're, you've written it's just blunt, and I think you're right. I just assumed that where, wherever one goblin was, more were following, <laughs> but it is, I think, just blunt. Um, anyway, Avery well, yeah, and the, blunt. Oh, sorry, the the rest are with Snowdrop, hearing her her tales of mystery. Yes, yes. Uh, so Avery and Blunt, uh, Avery heads to Tashlet to get a quick res on the damage that she has sustained from other goblin fights. Uh, yeah, and. It's probably worth talking about the fact that Avery is the person who doesn't immediately go home. Like, Lucy went home, reunited with her family. Verona went home, family wasn't quite there, uh, which is good. But, you know, she took someone else back to her home. Whereas, like, Avery is the one who, yeah, spends most of her snippet not at home. And, I mean, like, really, like, Wobbo could have done this healing off screen if he wanted to. I, I feel like this is just not only building up to Avery going home, like, which we'll get to, but, um, I like, this is just, you know, this is, this is Avery. Like she'll make her way home, but first she's got to go and she's going to get some help. She's going to help some other people. Like, you know, she's always sort of on the move. I just, I like this as a very Avery way of doing her homecoming. Like the homecoming is about meeting new people and going to new places as much as it is going home. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Shall we I I want to touch on this thing with uh Tash that we hinted at before um which is like it boggles my mind how much Wabo is able to pull together these disparate threads and just make have so have such density of narrative payoff like so okay Avery goes to Tash for healing which we had kind of known that she was going to do and it makes perfect sense but then suddenly the conversation pivots to Avery's fears about her family, this other dangling thread. 
And Tashley's experiences of being an other, but not realizing that she's another, and then you know emerging as the, as another, and and having what is kind of analogous to a coming out, um, but as another, is such a perfect yeah. mirror for Avery to like to to reflect through, right? And it's just like as I was reading this unfold, I was like, like how the fuck has this all just worked so perfectly and i feel like wildbo does it all the time where these <laughs> these like three or four disparate threads all just suddenly converge and you're just like what the fuck how have these worked so well it seems inhuman and it's always like you see this and you're like oh how didn't i see that connection yeah it's before? so <laughs> obvious and perfect that it's insane that we didn't see it coming but then it happens and you're just like huh i mean yeah it, especially because like Something I wanted to bring up from this whole Tash section is I just don't, like, so a big thing for Avery in her journey of, like, growth and, and defining herself has been she wants to be someone who's less, like, anxious and, and flighty and, and more confident. And, like, Tash is such a great bouncing off point for that because Tashlet has this, like, literally inhuman ability to just let things, like, wash over her. <laughs> yes, indeed. Um, you know, she's, she's a water goddess or begotten or whatever, so, you know. She, yeah these things just wash over and it's like that is in so many ways what avery wants to be i think she wants to be someone who is able to just let these things happen and not be so affected by them like obviously mm. you know, she doesn't want to be cold and, and heartless but she you know there's a middle ground between where she is and where where someone like alexander would be yes um, and i think that's yeah so i i love tashlet as yeah like yeah, as a bouncing off point or yeah as a, as a mirror because tashlet is also in many ways, the sort of person uh, Avery wants to be. Mm. Yeah, no, she is. She's a great, uh, a great role model. I mean, yeah, it's it's just awesome. It just works so yeah. well. Although, just like on that topic, how how, how does Tashlet do it? Like, I'm a bit of an Avery in this regard too, and I'm just constantly watching Tashlet be like, uh, you know, like s- shit happens. <laughs> it's just like, no, but this was really bad shit. Yeah. How is it not like? How are you not, How are you not angry? Mess? Yeah. How <laughs> like, are you not more just, angry at this? Yeah, she's so fucking cool about it all the time. Uh, we want this detail here that she's actually only like partway through her transformation. Like, Yes, she will continue to become less and less human. Yeah, which I've sort of just taken to mean she's going to fucking turn into some sort of sea monster mm. or something. Um, and I was like, okay, like uh, in my head, like I've just got stuff like, is that it? Is she just... She just knows that she's in some sort of like cocoon stage right now, so she she can just not dwell on this stuff because she knows it's gonna be totally different once she's just, like I, I yeah like I, I'm just trying to rationalize in my head how she can possibly be so fucking cool about it. I mean, there's a more horrifying explanation, which is that part of her being an other is that she has kind of othered her emotions, right? Like she just mm. literally doesn't feel it because of something that makes her another. Yeah, God, or is a, I mean, it's not ideal, but he could do worse. Like, yeah, I suppose not. Not to get all Verona about it, but if you're gonna lose part of your hum- humanity, like anxiety is not the worst part uh, to toss away. Mm. Um, yeah, um, fucking, yeah, I just, I can't get. It. She's just so chill about it. Sorry, I'll shut up about this now. <laughs> um. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, just a quick, fun, light beat. The charades with Avery uh, and Tash is pretty fun. And it reminds me of, like, Snowdrop and, and how 
we as readers are kind of forced to pay more attention and get inside the heads of of characters who have uh, non-traditional ways of communicating here. I just think it's great. Mm. Yeah, and because I think this is the first time we've seen, well, the first real time we've seen someone who isn't Verona really try to talk to Tashlet. Like, I think, you know, Avery's briefly communicated with her in fights and stuff, mm. but I, I feel like this is the first time Verona hasn't been here to act as, like, the translator for Tashlet. Mm. um for for a proper conversation so yeah like like you know it makes it feel harder like we're constantly like avery does bring up a number of times that verona is better at this but um avery tries really damn hard and and it works out they they sort of find a rhythm eventually yeah yeah they do and it works pretty well but the whole time avery is is also being like oh i'm sorry i'm not verona (laughs) which is great (laughs) uh classic avery um so, uh, yeah, Avery heads back home, back to her family, and almost immediately pulls her parents aside to have a chat. Yep. Uh, and so, again, like, this is the new Avery. She's come home. She's grown. She's, this whole time, when she immediately pulls them over, she's thinking to herself, like, I can't do arms. I've got to stand firm. She's making her voice and her opinion heard. Like, there's the bit where she just tells her dad that his co-worker's an arsehole. I don't think Avery would have done that two months ago. Like, yeah, like yeah, again, like this is just a huge moment for her. This is the this is the same girl who like what a month ago. How long were they at the school? Not very long. Mm. Um, you know, like this, like she all but ran away from home to go to the school rather than sit in the car with her dad. Like she wasn't capable of this confrontation or even the possibility of it when she left, and now she's able to come home and just sort of have it on her own terms and and make it happen. It's huge. Mm. Yeah, she's clearly got some strong development that has helped her tackle this, and and we kind of get this at the end of the chapter when she uh, puts it into a nice little sentence. Um, mm. But let's talk about her dad's reaction, which is, uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I guess it could be worse, right? Like he 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 had to, in air quotes, come to terms with it, which is like obviously latent homophobia, but it's clear, and Sheridan expresses this whenever he has this sentiment that like he is putting in effort to get himself around it, which is nice. So, yeah, it's obviously not great. He's obviously started from a bad place, but he's doing, he's trying, he's trying to get better. Yeah, like, that's that's what it sort of came down to for me. And I think we had a very similar conversation to this when we uh, saw him in Can We Talk About the Girls. Yeah. Um, it, it's sort of like he's, yeah, he's not doing great, but he's trying. And as long as he's trying and he's improving, I'm at least always going to cut him a little bit of slack because, like, what more can we ask from people? Like, or, mm. you know, if, if that's not good enough, then we're in real trouble. Um, so yeah, I yes, that's it. There was that one. Where, then he starts making the joke about like, you know, teenage pregnancies or whatever. And I was just, oh, come on, dude. Yeah. Like, but <sighs> yeah, I I don't know. I'm willing to put up with a bit of that sort of nonsense from him if he's like taking on the feedback like when he says that everyone's like shut the fuck up That's yeah like, he keeps learning i'll be like okay like this is acceptable i think it would be even better or especially good and we'll have to see how it goes but if his growth isn't tied to avery pushing him on it like yeah if it's her constantly having to fight that battle it's going to come across a lot worse than if he independently is able to go off and improve over time yeah all right uh, her mom steps up in that regard like her mom yes, is the first true. one to admonish him for the joke 
her mum is the one who sort of says, when you're ready to bring a girl home, I'll keep your dad in check, which is basically, yeah, yeah her mum doing the mum job and saying, hey, yeah, uh, so there, there is this bullshit, but I'm going to, like, try and tackle it for you. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. I, again, yeah. Avery's mum, pretty good. Yeah. No, she does really well. So two thumbs up to her. Um, Avery then has a nice moment of kinship with Sheridan that obviously quickly goes south. So instead she uh, skips up onto the window and uh, looks at the stars, seeing the crooked rook and Alpi outside doing their rounds. <laughs> uh, yeah, which isn't ominous at all, really. Um, I, I love Sheridan in this whole segment. Like mm. Sheridan just has that perfect, like, yeah, just sarcastic asshole of acceptance vibe. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I really have anything more to say. I was just like, it's kind of nice for Avery to have Sheridan in this very snowdroppy way of you can tell that Sheridan has her back through Sheridan's form of communicating that is to talk shit about everyone. Yeah. Um, yeah, which is, uh, I mean, better. Better than her dad's reaction, <laughs> I'll say. Um, yeah, I don't. Know, maybe like as a as a recovering sarcastaholic my, myself, I mm. I can't help but see see the the appeal of that. I don't know form of support. Mm. Um, yeah, and this chapter ends with a really nice moment from Avery where she thinks uh, she's going to be stronger as she had done here, head on, no prongs on, which is great. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she's such a dork. I love it. Um, yeah, I mean, sticking with the horns, I guess, Avery. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I, again, like this, this chapter, like this is sort of the end of 8.8. And it's like, I just, again, I love it for sort of showing how much these four, uh, have grown, uh, in their time mm. away. And they've come back as stronger people who are closer to the selves that they want to they be. They want to be exactly and right. I, I, that was a lot of what Arc 8 was talking about. Yeah, uh, and this chapter also kind of demonstrates they're going to need to be those people because things yes. are not good. They're, like, we don't actively get really that much of the terribleness in this chapter, but almost all of the Kenneteers have moments of seeing the town struggling. Like, you know, the, the spirits yeah. of the town, the, the aura of the town is real bad at this point. All, all three of the human Kenneteers are... Yes. Have a moment where they turn their side on and see some kind of fucked up. Yes. Um, especially in Verona's case, it's literally, I, I feel like it was like Montague's shift that causes the ghost to go all murdery for a bit. But yeah. 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 <sighs> um, so that's the end of Arc 8. Bye, Arc 8. See you next time. <laughs> now we are going to dive into Arc 9, Shaking Hands. And before we get into this arc, I just want to say how much I love this arc title because. It is so perfect. Shaking hands obviously implies like peaceful accords being resolved, but also alternatively or even concurrently could mean hands shaking from, you know, stress or danger or adrenaline. Uh, it's such an ambiguous title that could imply either type of resolution for this story. And I, I just loved it. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Like, uh, and again, shaking hands is what you do when you meet someone. We meet all our new other pals here. Yep. Um, shake hands when you make a deal. Deals yep. are somewhat important in this universe. Mm -hmm. uh, it's it's probably going to be a very fun arc. Uh, yeah. I think we've been waiting to come back to Kenneth for a while now, and so far it's living up to the expectations. Yes, for also, sure. In 8.8, .8, 
Lucy hugged her mum and Booker, but she shook hands with Alyssa, so. The arc title is already paying for itself in terms of <laughs> wordplay. Um, so, Lucy wakes up, and immediately things seem off. It's almost dreamlike as she finds out that Booker has died <laughs> in a car crash. Uh, this was such a fun trip. I mean, for me, I was in the camp of people who didn't figure out it was a dream until quite late. Um, I knew something was off, but just in this world, I just assumed it was the practice or some bullshit. Mm. Like, um, so I, I was pretty gutted for a second when I thought weird shit was going on and there was a chance Booker was really dead. There's like, uh, there's like one paragraph that gave it away to me as she's still kind of heading to meet her mum, there's one paragraph where she just kind of describes how she's almost floating through as she walks. And to me, that immediately signaled, okay, we're in a dream here. Um, I'll try and find the actual specific quote. But, <laughs> yeah, anyway, it obviously... Did, yeah, um, there were things for me that was like, yeah, like the clock flashing zero 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 zero, yeah. or like, um, yeah, like all these little things, like like the posters being ominous. But he, I, again, I was just like, that's probably some magic shit. I don't know. Like, um, yeah. It's, so it's this, it's this line here to me. It had felt like she was floundering, heavy with fatigue and sleepless with no solid ground to stand on. But finding that fact to anchor to had helped. It feels that's the, the most dreamlike sentence to me. Um, anywho. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, like, regardless, it, it, it hits pretty hard, right? Lucy is effectively being unintentionally blamed by her mother for Booker's death. And it, when, when she interprets that, I was just like, oh, fuck. Yeah, because it's like, I mean, that's not what Jazz is doing, but she says no. things in such a way that it's like, Lucy will manage Lucy to can blame interpret herself. It. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I, I think it's like, oh, they said there's been more crime and stuff, and it's like, well, we know that's the Carmine Beast, so it's Lucy's job for not solving this ridiculously high stakes murder case in a couple of weeks. Yeah, um, yeah, cl- classic Lucy. And I mean, you know, this is a moment that sort of holds up regardless of whether it's a dream or not. Because as Lucy says, like she's processing this, like it feels real to her. Yeah, she she still has to go through it. Yes, um, I I found it quite hilarious that she very nearly detectives her way out of this dream by realizing how nonsensical it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, especially because it, it pisses off Alpi. Like I love how like belligerent Alpi is just always the best form of her, and I love how she gets to immediately enter the room and be like, "Oh, can you stop?" Like. Yeah, no, you, please you're don't do that. Good work. Yeah. I, I put in a lot of effort to make this happen. Uh, <laughs> do you yeah. know how hard it was to torture you like this to get a conversation? God, stop <laughs> being so rude. Um, I, I mean, can we talk about Alpi as a choice? Because obviously, like, we saw Alpi at the end of 8.8, like, yeah. hanging out with Crooked Rook. So yeah. you sort of immediately, even once you see it's Alpi, you're like, okay, well, still though, like, hold on. Um, and especially Alpi to me, I, I I feel like we had this argument like way back in October, but I've always been kind of shifty on Alpi mm. as like she does all that like, oh, I don't like to get into the politics sort mm. of nonsense. Yeah. Um which actually just seems ripe for someone like Crooked Rook to come in and, and extremize by threatening the stability she has. Um so yeah, it, this is very fun. Like immediately when it's Alpi, I feel like y- at least without extra detail, I was put in a space of thinking, oh, okay, here we fucking go. Like, Alpi's going to be up to some shit now. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, Alpi has created this nightmare for Lucy in order to give her a warning 
be careful. Your family's probably in danger. Um, probably <laughs> a, a, a warning that was already kind of known, but good to make it tangible, I guess. This nightmare is about Booker dying, so I guess it really m- makes it hit home to Lucy about <laughs> the fact that she needs to, you know, play defense a bit. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, Alpi makes a fucking point right here. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I mean, it's funny, because, like, I remember us worrying in Arc 1 that the families were a vector for attack for the culprits. And then that idea just kind of slipped away over time, I think, from my conscious thought, at least. And then, like, I'm glad that the stories just sort of come in and been like, remember, this this is something that isn't secure. Um, Mm. And, you know, we've just had a whole chapter about the friendships and the families that these three have. Like, you know, Avery's got acceptance with a good chunk of her family. Uh, Like, losing her mum or Sheridan would be devastating. Obviously. Lucy's got Booker and her mum, and Verona's got her found family in Jeremy. <laughs> she she canonically doesn't give a shit about her dad. She brings that up later in the chapter, but um, yeah, they've all got people they can lose. Mm. Mm. Yeah, um, <sighs> yeah. I, I, and actually, speaking of of Alpi as a choice following the end of the last chapter, almost immediately Alpi comes in and mentions that she's been chit chatting to Rook, uh, who's not <laughs> interested in all the political stuff. Don't worry. But the original Kenneth <laughs> others, hmm, they're getting too dangerous. Maybe we should, uh, maybe we should uh, take care of them, huh? Yeah, I want us all to remember Arc 8, which was the arc where we didn't have to worry about this two sides bullshit. Because mm. we just got done with this nonsense at the Blue Heron Institute, and the fucking second everyone's back in Kenneth, uh, Alpi, or Crooked Rook via Alpi, is suddenly here being like, the other side, they're pretty bad. I wouldn't trust those. Uh, you know, the original Kenneth others, they're under the sway. And, like, I, the thing I hate about this the most is it actually makes a lot of sense. Like, the conspirators <clears throat> got away with it. Yeah. And are seemingly still in a position of power. So. Yeah, that's the one redeeming thing <laughs> for Rook, isn't it? That it is true that <laughs> if the original Kenneth others have more of a vote and are the sponsors behind these new Kenneth others, that's obviously a recipe for a civil war, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. And, well, I, I feel like Crooked Rook's thing here that she says via Alpi is you need to lean on the new ones more and, and work with them and, and sort of getting good with them which is just like yeah oh yeah it's just, just such a fucking mess because um because yeah it's partially true like I hate this I this is arc three all over again where we didn't know who we could trust or who we should be afraid of and I just, I just want everyone to get along yeah <sighs> well they can't there's got to be some villains in here somewhere um so yeah lucy wakes up for real this time and has breakfast with the fam uh some delicious sweet pastries nothing better which is great yeah uh, some nice positive whiplash for lucy as well as us um i love that we sneak in this moment with uh Alyssa and booker having had very explicit uh drunk driving psa dreams which <laughs> is just like thanks alpi redeemed i'm yep. actually you know what i'm fully on Crooked Rook's side now. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It's good stuff. It's funny that they had the same dream. It's a classic moment. And now, you know, I'm sure you've had that experience, Elliot, where a sibling and you have had the same dream and you're like, well, what the fuck? And now you have an explanation for it. Trying to get a message from a, uh, a, <laughs> from a, a mayor. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's just so many nice moments in this whole morning thing, like the bit where uh, Jazz tortures booker with the blender um 
I love the bit where Lucy suggests a horror movie marathon with Booker because it's just like, isn't that your life now? Why do you, why do you want to watch horror movies? Like, I suppose it's like fucking research. <laughs> I mean, yeah, sure. Why not? Got to do something to take your mind off it. But it's not. It's doing the opposite. No, you're that's right. Like... It doesn't make sense. I, I don't have an explanation for you, Elliot. That, that's like me sitting down with my sisters. It's like, hey, you want to watch like YouTube videos on how to make like VR games? Like, yeah, th- this is this is her day job, and she wants to sit there and watch horror movies. What are you doing? Having take said, a day. Having said that, Elliot, I bet you have watched videos on how to make VR games on your time off before, haven't you? Come on. Yeah, but not with my siblings. True. That that does make it a bit weirder. <laughs> Um, so yeah, uh, Booker and Eli, uh, and uh, alive, Alyssa are alive, <laughs> albeit hungover. Yeah, for now. Um, <laughs> and Alyssa seems to be slowly earning her keep for Lucy. She seems pretty chill. Um, <laughs> but obviously Alyssa is going to turn out to be a practitioner. So, uh, yeah, I, I mean, think about it this way, Elliot, what better way to fulfill Alpi's warning about needing to protect Booker than by Alyssa herself being the danger to Booker? Just about any other way. It's um, pretty perfect. <laughs> I mean, okay, okay if we're going to do this bullshit, Alyssa, mm-hmm. like what's the what's in between those two A's? Oh my god, you're right, Elliot. It rhymes with a miss. <laughs> I was going say? for Liss, but, uh, oh, but Liss, yeah, yeah, yeah. Could be that a Liss. Ah, <laughs> yeah. Well, both hinting to us. See, it's a Liss, <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, we cracked it. <laughs> so stupid. Uh, yeah, Booker's come home because the the, the a school near the one he was staying at had a, a recent spate of weird murders, so he's decided to come <laughs> back home for the summer. Um, anyway, moving on <laughs> to the actual story, I guess. Uh, the Kennedys are regrouping on their way to the town meeting, catching up on each other's little mini-adventures, and they are joined by a startlingly familiar new Kenneteer, Liz. Liz, Liz, Liz. I don't know. Uh, I'm gonna say Liz, just because. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. I mean, like, I can't wait to get into Liz. She fucking rules. Yeah, she's baller. Um, yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of creepy, right? Liz's uh, doppelganger shtick, right? She's she's basically like the best friend that they've never met before, or or like I I almost want to describe it as when in like season two or season three of a TV show, a new character is introduced or someone's recast <laughs> and they come in and they're like, hi guys, I've been here the whole time. Or like, remember that episode of Community where Jack Black's in it and then they have he's, yeah. he's been edited into all the previous scenes and you're like, no, that's not right. Um, that's definitely the vibe it gave me. <laughs> yeah, you're right. She just, she just rocks up and she's so, yeah, like, like friendly already. And, I mean, like, what's great about that is she's just picking up what they're putting down. Yeah. Um, and, oh, oh, wait, wait. This is to be, like, Liz is going to be so fascinating in every scene she's in. Like, she's already one of my favorite characters to keep an eye on. Because, like, I mean, poor Wildbo has set himself a pretty rough task here. Because from a writing perspective, so I, I'm obviously not a writer, but I feel like mm. when you're, like, when you're, when you're writing character stuff, it's like you sort of have a model for the character in your head of like what their personality is, what their goals are and all that. And, mm. and, and you use that to sort of write out the scene with the other characters. And, and Liz is so interesting because like part of that model has to completely be changed depending on who she's impersonating at the time. Like Kenneteer Liz versus Liz is in an old folks home. 
are going to be there's like the same self still underneath there's like this core part of the model that goes unchanging but the way it's expressed and the way she uses it will be totally different and i mm. just think that's so cool because again it's telling us stuff about the Kenneteers when she's doing this as well as like telling us stuff about her like there's so much to play with here just as a writing device i think she's so cool mm. yeah she's good isn't she she's uh yeah, she's real interesting. It's hard to get a solid read on her by design. Um, mm. So, yeah, I don't know. We'll have well, to see. Because she, she's like, she brings up like, oh, when they first sort of meet her, she's like, oh, I've been like prodding those people at the tables over there, like getting this old guy to piss people off and make them leave. And I'm already like, okay, this is like fucking social manipulation stuff, which, mm. you know, how much of that was from the people she's getting there or how much of that is like you know she's somebody who was formed in that like girls school where that was sort of her her core like how much of this is her how much of it is the group she is like it's going to be so fun to explore the core part of liz that is unchanging and that is herself by seeing her in all these different places as well as like at the same time you're sort of reading into the people she's impersonating yeah yeah. Like you can see you can see a bit of Avery in her when, when she's sort of like, oh come on, let's like go over. Like let's walk and she like makes Avery fucking lock hands with her. Uh mm. or sorry, lock arms, which is just like, you know, oh good, like Avery finally has someone who's gonna be as like friendly as she is. Mm. Yeah. I mean, hopefully. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> it Liz is explicitly hard to get a solid read on, so we'll have to and, see. And we're explicitly given Reasons to doubt her uh, by the end of the chapter. Cher- uh, Snowdrop is not cool with her. Yes. And it's like, don't make me choose. Yeah, I mean, no, we get what is clearly a marker in, in a lot of horror or, or any kind of movie like this. No, sorry, not movie, but any kind of story of like, animals distrust this thing, right? Mm-hmm. Therefore, thing bad. Um, so, uh, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, is that fair? Like, yeah, I guess we'll see. Mm. I just think this concept for Liz and how she plays out is everything I wanted it to be, and I can't wait to, mm. yeah, uh, see how it keeps going. Um, we've also she talks a bit about Crooked Rook. Who I wanted to bring up, um, if for no other reason, then Liz does tell us that she doesn't think Rook is like a schemer, like the fairy, or or like Alexander. She's just a tactician. Like she she just knows when to strike, but she's not going to be like playing. 10 levels of the game or any bullshit which i was like oh you're my new favorite villain because i just don't have that in me anymore <laughs> there's too mm. many too many schemers in this story i need a villain who's just gonna like do an evil villain speech and then strike at the right time <laughs> <laughs> yeah nice to have a, a different non-scheming kind of villain i mean i don't even know if we can necessarily call rook non-scheming because uh, uh based on just the the immediate speed with which Alpie seems to be on board with Rook shenanigans. It's hard to not see that as a scheme. Yeah, I, I see the scheming more as like, it, it's like those multiple levels of like deception and stuff. Like, like mm. I, I don't, yeah, I don't think Rook's going to be playing those like, yeah, 3D chess game bullshit. She, she's going to do this shit where she goes straight up and, and gets Alpie to talk to them at the right time to tell them what she wants them to hear. Uh, and it's probably what she actually thinks. Like um, I, I beat. We keep hitting with with Rook. Is she's seen stuff like this go down before, and that's so terrifying. And also, I'm like, could we just go talk to her about exactly what happened and figure out how to change it? Like, 
tell us that just tell us that story so it doesn't happen again mm, yeah also it can't be exactly like this right like it can't have been a town where one of the fucking little other o- oasis where one of the four judges got killed and like <laughs> i mean if it is that's pretty sus <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i mean like rook's power is so interesting as well with like mm. the themes we were talking about being particularly prevalent in arc eight with like defining yourself and, and choosing what, who yourself is uh rook kind of seems to be able to completely undermine that because one of her abilities is to like fundamentally change what an other is so they talk about like this boogeyman who had like spikes and was scary and shit and she sort of turned him into a performing clown and took the abyss out mm. and i'm like okay like there's so much to play with there because on the one hand how do you have the moral authority to do that to someone without their consent mm. uh, but then also simultaneously i'm like hey she can literally pull the bad stuff out of people isn't that like isn't yeah. that a great way to Isn't fix that people? obviously like, great yeah <laughs> like, like just from a rehabilitation perspective like yes like and, and, i mean this is our whole thing is like if, if self yeah. and, and what an other is is manipulable that like changes so many foundational things like you know like can you take away weaknesses like yeah with the goblins can you take away some of their worst sides and leave them with the parts that we like like you know so they'll just be lovable idiots who suplex cigarettes <laughs> um yeah i don't know like this is almost as interesting to me as liz's power for what it sort of means like just if you can change people when are you allowed to do that what does that mean for the concept of self uh what does that mean for anything like it changes everything it's huge yes yes it does it's uh it's interesting i yeah i don't know we haven't got rook's obviously not at the uh at the meeting so we don't get a picture of mm. her um so who knows what to what to take from it? Does she use this for rehabilitation? Like, or is she <laughs> use it? Like, you know, it's like Alexander. Remember, Alexander had all these tools to like help yeah. him empathize with people, and he uses it to bring them down. Like, yeah, she has this power to take the worst parts out of people. Is that what she uses it for, or is she keeping these bits of like mm. Mister Spiky Wheels anger? And she she's taking that. And she's going to use it next time for bad purposes. Like. Elliot, you called him Mr. Spiky Wheels. Did you not realize what that other was clearly a reference to? No. That other was obviously the combined rage and frustration of everyone who played Dark Souls and died against those pinwheel skeletons. Oh, those things. Mm-hmm. You just dodge sideways. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, you and I know that, but younger practitioners who are maybe bumping into <laughs> them for the first time, oh, it's a it's a bloodbath. Um, um, anyway. Also... So last last little bit from this conversation with Liz, we yeah. once again hear about witch hunters and apparently some witch hunters are snooping around town. Um, I, I mean, I feel like witch hunters have been brought up a number of times throughout this story now. So I'm like, are we actually going to finally get to meet some? Because that'll mm-hmm. be cool. Uh, yeah, I mean, because, you know, that'll be fun for the Kenneteers is meeting people who hunt witches. Yeah. Uh, well, as... As a group of three witches, I mean, inherently <laughs> that idea is a bit worrying, but um, we'll have to see, I suppose. I mean, because I'm just picturing like, the, the image we get of, of witch hunters in, in this from Liz. I'm basically picturing like the, the hunters from Supernatural. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, Liz obviously has had negative run-in with, run-ins with them before. So again, hard to know if this is going to be a nice interaction or something horrifying. I can't. E- either way, I can't wait. 
um so yeah uh the group arrives at matthew's house and we get our first proper look at all of the newbies before cherry ruins it um excuse you she does the opposite of that (laughs) she fights a cigarette and loses (laughs) it is a pretty great moment isn't it (laughs) when she's just so desperate for a win that she suplexes sig and (laughs) gets burned especially i i love it for this bit like they sort of walk into this meeting and it's so fucking like, uh, originally I was going to say like James Bond evil villain room, but it's mm. more like, it's it's like some Freemason yes, bullshit for sure. where it's like this dark room with the curtains drawn and Edith lights the candles and it's this stupid secret society vibe um, that makes sense because they can't have the sunlight with the ghouls, I think, but mm. um it's like this really sort of intense atmosphere and everyone's being quiet. And when Sherry starts fighting this other goblin and they're sort of like, Oh, this is going to go on for a bit. Uh, Edith actually just checks in with the Kenneteers on like a very human level. Yeah. And yeah, I that just, was a really yeah. nice moment, wasn't it? Yeah. I was like, Oh, thank God for Sherry and her dumb bullshit because it actually yeah. gives us the space for Edith to connect with them as people, which was an important moment, I think. Yeah. Um, can we talk about Jabba as well? Because two <laughs> great things about Jabba. One, we find out why he's called that, which is that he just makes nonsensical sounds. The the quote that I pulled out here was, Barahula hula, rugamagabula, which is some of the first <laughs> stuff that he says. But also, I was expecting him to kind of be Frankenstein-esque. Sorry, Frankenstein's monster-esque, I guess. No, no, no. Uh, we, we use the XKCD. Uh continuity on here which means the monster is called frankenstein fair enough um but no he's only three feet tall so he is real short which is not what i expected (laughs) at all Um, yeah like for me jabber is the one i just don't feel like i get Mm. out of all the newbies like I, i i feel like with all of them i sort of get their vibe or you know part of their inspiration or you know what where i think they fit in in all these sorts of metaphors of, of people being hurt by the system coming to canon mm. jabber is one i just continue to walk out and i'm like i have no idea what the fuck you are or where the fuck you're going but you're just this weird little yelly guy who apparently scares the heck out of an entire group of alchemists um <laughs> I, I have no idea what to do with jabber yeah he's a weird one he's, isn't he He's kind of the most interesting to me because I'm like, I have no idea what Walbo is setting up with you at all. Um, yeah, I have no idea either. <laughs> but we'll, we'll see. We'll have to wait and see. Um, also, just worth noting, it's really nice to see all these characters again, obviously. I realize how much I've missed some of them, especially Gillamay. Seeing Gillamay, I was like, yeah. oh, shit, it's Gillamay. I'm so thrilled that we get to get more interactions with Gil before, you know, his presumably <laughs> tragic fate befalls him uh yeah no you're right there there were like when we sort of go through the list of the usual suspects which is fantastic phrasing for lucy to use um i was just like oh you know it's good to see marissica the evil villainess again oh it's it's so nice to see john uh even though we kind of saw him but yeah it, it was just nice to see everyone together again yeah it it was great it was so it just really felt nice to see everyone again <laughs> And I mean, obviously, wait, this chapter does a lot of legwork introducing us to the newbies, um, especially for those who aren't reading the extra materials and would have missed like all yep. of that setup. Yeah. Um, like, yeah, we sort of meet Nibble and Chloe here. Yeah. And uh, Chloe's not having a good time. She's actually 
worse off than I thought uh, coming into this. Yeah, she seems pretty out of it, huh? Yeah. Um, like, you can sort of see how Nibble has ended up in, a, like, a carer's position. Like, he's, yeah. he's sort of her carer. Um, carer slash boyfriend, seems. Yeah. Um, also, sorry, I, I am backtracking a bit here. Lucy takes note of the fact that as they're walking in, Matthew's truck rolls down the street as, like, as they're on the street. And she notes, that's a strangely common occurrence. Yeah. And I went back and looked, and she's right. He's fucking always driving in as they arrive. This feels like a tinfoil <laughs> thing. I know, that line took down to me as well. I'm like, <laughs> wait, what? But yeah. I don't what, even know what, what does it even world. mean? <laughs> <laughs> like, I, yeah, I, I feel like, I, I feel like Wabba's just dropped this line on us. It's like, hey, you should be tinfoiling about this. I just keep looking at it. I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. Here's the here's the theory. This entire thing, Elliot, all the mm. Kennet others, everything in Kennet, is a Truman Show-esque <laughs> trick being played on the Kenneteers. And, you know, Matthew is just kind of waiting, you know, in the wings, as it were, for the next scene to start before he enters. And Lucy is starting to cotton on. I mean, honestly, that's better than any of the ideas I've got, which really says a lot about my ideas. Um, <laughs> yeah. This feels like a line where in a couple of arcs is going to be like, oh, that's what it meant. But right now, I, I just, I don't know, man. <sighs> Who knows what to take from it. Um, but yeah, Matthew wastes no time in making things weird. Uh, he seems to be asking the Kenneteers to kind of back off without being willing to say it. And Lucy says they mm. won't. Matthew accepts this and the meeting continues very awkwardly. Oh, yeah. I mean, it reminded me a lot of uh, arc three, as I think I already touched on with the like, Remember after Mist disappeared and there was the whole tension between the Kenneteers and the Kennet others mm. and it, it eventually got resolved, but it's just like they've gone away for a bit. The town's grown and now we, we kind of have to go through it all again uh, with much more dire circumstances surrounding it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I really don't know what we're meant to take from this interaction because obviously it's meant to be important, but. It's hard to know. Matthew's being so cagey about it. It seems like some of the others have some kind of reassurance that they want that the Kenneteers either will or won't do something. But Matthew doesn't say what it is. He, he kind of hints it at it, but he doesn't say it. And Lucy doesn't seem to give a satisfying response. So it's kind of just like, huh, okay, well, what does that mean? Yeah. Like, like my best read on it right now just feels like the obvious one where it's like they they all came here to some extent to escape practitioners and they're thriving and they're just worried that practitioners will pull things towards the status quo of the outside world that doesn't work for them. Um, but wasn't that already yeah. part of the pitch for Kennet? Was like these practitioners are like part of the team? <laughs> I mean, maybe Matt and Edith didn't really lay that out clearly. I, I don't, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like that, but that's just like, my. I feel like I'm defaulting to the obvious and, presumably wrong answer i'm sure there'll be like an extra layer to it especially because we ended the chapter on this question yes um but like all i can think of is the obvious thing where it's just like you know yeah they don't want practitioners here to kind of upset their control like i think the others they have the embodiment of the town on their council the others are kind of in control here and having practitioners around is them sort of acknowledging that they have to abide by the wider systems of this world they are still <laughs> beholden to solomon's setup yeah i i think the thing i took from it is it felt like they were trying to get permission to hunt innocents but that can't be it because they've got ken in here right like ken's part of the group i 
Oh, yeah. He wasn't at this meeting. It's like, what do they want? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what they want. I think they just want control for themselves and they're just worried mm. with practitioners here that isn't possible. But I, I don't know. That just feels like the obvious thing. Yeah. Yeah. I keep coming back to this idea, like Alpi mentioned at the start of the chapter in the dream, the culprits of the murder, well, the big room. thing she introduced here is they don't want to put things back. Like they're not going yeah. to take the throne and stabilize things. Yeah. Or, according to Alpi, they're probably going to don the furs and leave things as they are now. Mm. Which, who's that working for? Because it seems like nobody at the moment. Mm. Yep. Probably nobody. <laughs> um. But that's the beat on which this chapter ends. Yeah. I mean, I, like, I'm already very excited for this arc. There's going to be shenanigans with the new others, with the old others. Yeah. With the Kenneteers' home lives. Like, this, yeah, this is going to be great. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, we'll have to see how this arc starts to shape out as it continues. But uh, that's all for, for our arc discussions today. Uh, let's jump forward to some pale predictions, shall we? Um, yeah. What a have lot you of got? great predictions this week. I've put out a prediction by Meiji Hao, who has been on the show predicting a few times. But this one I really love. Um, they actually had two predictions. One was a bit more wild. It was about Miss being Charles's familiar, which was crazy. And I admired its spirit, but I don't think it's <laughs> going to come true. So I didn't necessarily want to read it out. But the other one I think is great and is definitely true. Uh, Meiji Hao says, I am confident that Charles's piece of the Blue Heron God was used in the creation of the Hungry Choir. It's obviously a bit technological, and there's a part of the Hungry Choir that fits this, which is its weird technomancy-esque website, which feels right in line with things like Ray's secret uh, Seven Dwarves kind of uh, security system for his domain, right? Um, which I just thought was great. Like it, the, the the technomancy angle of the Hungry Choir website is something that has never really fit with the rest of the idea of the Hungry Choir. So uh, the fact that that might be a kind of a kind of remnant of energy from this techno god that was destroyed, I think, is just a, an awesome idea. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess the curious part of that to me would be how mm. Charles managed to hold on to the Blue Heron God stuff when he got Forsworn. Good question. He Forsworn. Before Yolda was turned, uh, or before Yolda was killed. Yes, I think so. Or yeah, I got. I'd probably have to double check. The timeline. Yeah, I'm not it's, sure. It's actually, bit, it's all a bit fuzzy to me now. I got to bring up that old timelines doc. Um, I mean, of course, there is the the thought that Charles's forswearing is somehow not what it seems. Yeah, or if he'd already put that power into tools and he managed to hold on to the tools, like yeah, maybe there's ways. Yeah. yeah. He had given the power to some of the Kennet others for safekeeping or something. Yeah, I mean that that connection to it having a website feels very good. Yeah, I like um, that. What prediction did you pull out, Elliot? I really struggled to pull one out this week. There were a lot of good ones this week. I feel like all these new characters and this return to Kennet. It's getting just, people's minds whirring. Yeah, like there were. F Honestly, if nobody makes another prediction for like a month, I think I'll still have a new one to pull out every week. Mm. Um. I eventually settled on just pulling out one by BG. Uh, this is just a fun idea, which is that Matthew and Edith both think the other one killed the Carmine Beast, and they're both derailing the investigation to cover for their partner, but neither of them did it. They just <laughs> haven't actually asked each other because they don't want to know. 
because then they have interesting to say if, if it comes up i don't know if i buy this because i pretty firmly on the edith done it train but um it's definitely a fun idea that there'd be a reveal that actually they've both been trying to cover for the other one and really neither of them were involved <laughs> that would be a fun reveal but we'll have to see i yeah i don't know I, edith is too suspicious to me to not be actually tangibly involved so <laughs> yeah um we will have to see on that front i think um yeah but that's the show folks if you want to leave your pale predictions you can find the link to do so by going to the show notes down below where you can find links to all kinds of stuff including the discussion thread uh where you can leave your thoughts on this show uh the chapters that we covered the show in general or just any old thingamajig why not uh yes you can also find us on twitter uh pale reflections just search for it uh it's where the live reads happen that's where the new episodes coming out uh are announced the schedule should be mostly on time but we'll be a bit funky for the next week and a bit so uh you know stay tuned there if you want to find the episodes exactly as they come out also it's where we tell you when pace episodes come out what's pace Elliot? uh so pace is an initiative i've really taken control of um no i mean do you want to talk about it it's your baby i do want to talk about it thanks for allowing me to do so <laughs> uh pace is an actual play show uh that is a kind of edited uh role-playing session so i as the game master as well as you kipos and linus the other players are all playing through a very interesting story that is set in a theoretical future of the otherverse uh so it's packed in space uh hence the name <laughs> um but yeah I, I mean we've released the first episode last wednesday new episodes are coming out every single wednesday uh, you can subscribe to that either on the combined feed which you might be having right now or you can go and find a pace specific feed where the new episodes will come out every wednesday i'm I've, I've been working on this we've been working on the show for about six months elliot and i'm so thrilled that it's finally starting yeah. to release uh it's i'm really proud of it and i think everyone will hopefully enjoy it very much yeah i mean we is a strong word you've done 90 percent of the work for this and i'm i'm enjoying it as a player and i yeah i've also listened to the first episode to try and remember what happened and um it yeah it's come together really well I, yeah uh, yeah i think you've done a great job and we haven't so, even got to any of the real crazy shit yet <laughs> yeah it's gonna get wild folks so please <laughs> please do listen <laughs> yeah there's some real wild stuff in there um so if you want to check that out you can head to doofmedia.com uh, where you will see the episodes of Pace listed, uh, and you can subscribe from there. Or just yeah, search Pace uh, in any old podcatcher. Yes. Uh, so Pace was directly a result of uh, the you know the brilliant supporters we had during our charity stream at the yes. end of Deep Impact. Yes. Um, but it also wouldn't have been possible uh, without uh, the patrons of Doof. Uh, yep. So patreon.com forward slash doofmedia. Because uh, obviously all the money that was donated during that stream went to the went charity. To charity. So we had, yes, we that doesn't help Patreon cover money. any costs. Which <laughs> yeah, um, is the Patreon money to do pace, uh, and you'll see like we've got brilliant art and stuff, and none of that would be possible without the patrons. So if you want to support stuff like that continuing to happen, please consider hitting up our Patreon. Yes, uh, you can find it at patreon.com forward slash doofmedia. And while you're on Patreon, you can of course go to Wabo's Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Wabo. And throw him some money because uh, he deserves it for all the great content that he has consistently put out. Uh, yeah. It's worth reflecting. Pale is a pretty great story and you get it for free. <laughs> so um, if you want, make sure that he can keep doing that and keep bringing this work to other people uh, by going to his Patreon. Yeah, exactly. Wabo wouldn't be able to 
do this story without his patrons. So please consider becoming one. Yeah. Or upping your donation if you're not. Uh, yeah, if definitely. you sorry, if you already are. Um, and with that, it's the end of the show. So we'll uh, catch you next time. Or if you watch Pace, I mean, not watch, listen to Pace, see you on Wednesday. I mean, not see you, I guess, because you're not watching. Talk to you on Wednesday. Bye. Talk to you then. Bye. <laughs>